At our month of Sunday's conversation last week, we came up with a few examples of things that we generally, I think we agreed, things that we found unhelpful to say to others or to hear ourselves when in the midst of painful experiences, such as, God never gives you more than you can bear. (laughs) One congregant said, hearing that made her want to reply, then God must think I am one strong person. (laughs) She used a slightly different phrase, but you get the point. God never gives you more than you can bear. Where did that come from? Quite likely it arose from a verse in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. In other translations, that word is tempted. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength, which gives it a slightly different flavor, doesn't it? Though you will be tempted to do the wrong thing, it is never beyond your power to do the right thing or at least to refrain from corrupt behavior. God will provide a way out, a way to avoid falling into what these Christian scriptures may call sin. The next verse says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. So that is a different message, right, than the more common usage referring to how much suffering we can bear. Other examples. When one door closes, another opens. Everything happens for a reason. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We have philosopher Frederick Nietzsche to thank for that one. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand why these things are said. The people who say them have, generally speaking, the best intentions. For instance, if I believe God's will is mysterious and absolute and that a loving God has carefully measured the suffering we experience, then to offer that thought is meant to be an act of compassion. If the idea that everything happens for a reason has sustained me through hard times, then to voice that belief is meant to be an act of generosity. If a particularly painful period in my own life led to an unforeseen opportunity, I am simply passing along this potential for hope. And if I have found myself strengthened by the challenges I have faced, I simply want to offer encouragement that this can happen for you too. Or I may not have experienced any of these things, but I'm simply reaching for that which sounds or feels reassuring because I care about you, and that feels like the right thing to do. All these phrases and many others I have not included may simply be a way of saying that very common phrase that comes to us almost instinctually when we are with people feeling sorrow or pain or defeat. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. 
I say that, and since I am only a human being just like you who cannot see into the future and has no special power of knowing, not only if things will be okay, but even what okay actually means or looks like or feels like, I call on a higher authority, God, philosophers, folk wisdom, pop psychology, to assure you that though this may be painful, you will get through it. It's going to be okay. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but here's what I find worth considering. When I'm responding to someone who is suffering, rather than thinking about what I should say or what feels right to say to me or what I think would be most comforting, rather than focusing on my actions and thoughts and needs, how can I simply be present? It doesn't mean I need to be mute, that I can't respond, but it does mean that I give up on finding the right thing to say. Let's say it here. There isn't a right thing to say. There isn't. And searching for that puts us in a fix-it mode that is most often, I might even say, always inappropriate to the situation. This is not something to fix. Or if it is, let the person ask for that specifically and then admit that you don't know how to fix it. Think about the really hard times you have experienced. And then ask yourself, was I waiting for someone to come along with the perfect words? Was I waiting for an airtight or at least plausible explanation for the pain I was in? I'm not saying that people don't find lessons in their struggles or reach conclusions about how they came to be experiencing whatever it is they are experiencing. I am saying, culturally speaking, in the wake of heartbreak and tragedy, we hurry one another unnecessarily toward this elusive goal of closure, of getting back to normal, of getting over it, of bouncing back not even giving us time to feel it. And as the song title said, we have to feel it to heal it. Sometimes we just need someone to take a few moments to stop and listen where we are without pointing to where we should be or could be or will be if we think about this correctly. And yet, it is true, we do value in others and in ourselves this quality we call resilience, this ability to engage with suffering and sorrow and struggle in such a way that though we cannot escape the pain, though it undoubtedly changes us in ways we may recognize or not, we find that it does not hold the power to incapacitate us spiritually, emotionally, relationally, but rather potentially deepens our connections to life. We do not retreat from life nor pretend to move forward as if nothing happened. We move through and with. Resilience. And thank you, Rosemary, for those stories of resilience today. And I know that's an imperfect description 
of resilience. I became aware as I was preparing to write this sermon that resiliency is such a large topic that it feels dangerous to even talk about it for fear of trivializing, creating false equivalencies, or speaking condescendingly. I think resilience can be seen on a grand stage across generations, and it can be witnessed in the everyday, even the mundane. And I don't wish to dishonor any expression of resilience across that whole wide spectrum. I will say this, reading The Undefeated, And Lucille Clifton's poem and thinking of the experience of Africans and African-Americans and black people in this country, then thinking of the experiences of undocumented immigrants at our borders and the many refugees across the world, thinking of the experiences of trans people in our communities who fear violence and even murder for simply being who they are, thinking of the people surviving on the street right outside our doors in the richest country in the world, thinking of them and so many others. I know the resilience expressed in the lives of so many is far beyond my experience, and I can but marvel and bow and do what I can to make sure that the needless pain inflicted by our morally twisted systems do not continue. It is beyond hypocrisy for the dominant culture to pay tribute to the survival, determination, and resilience of people who are black and people who are immigrants and people who are poor and people who are Native Americans and people who are trans and people of color and people with disabilities and people who are homeless and people who are addicts to tell the inspiring stories to one another and marvel and shed a tear and applaud their endurance through all the pain inflicted upon them and then to inflict more. To say we are so inspired by all the suffering you have weathered, all that you have achieved in the spirit in spite of that suffering, and then to willingly or apathetically allow that suffering to continue. If we are to build something new, if we want to be resilient as a society, we need to admit to ourselves First, admit to ourselves and one another that this country was built upon pain, that its very foundation is sunk in a well of misery, knowingly inflicted upon Native Americans, upon Africans and African Americans, upon immigrants, upon the poor and the vulnerable and the different. We can honor the resilience we celebrate by allowing our witness to change us, to work toward collective liberation from a system that thrives on division, dissension, dismissal, discrimination, and demonization. There is more than enough pain in life over which we have no control. Why wouldn't we do everything we can to put an end to the pain that is within our control? Why wouldn't we do everything we can to confront the powers and structures of evil as the words of our second source say with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love? 
And though we are talking about whole groups of people across centuries, resilience, that ability to engage with suffering and sorrow and struggle in such a way that though we cannot escape the pain, though it undoubtedly changes us in ways we may not recognize, still it does not hold the power to incapacitate us spiritually, emotionally, relationally but rather potentially deepens our connections to life. That resilience, though it can be tracked across time and be identified with groups and peoples and nations, it is always experienced on an individual level, one person at a time. Lucille Clifton writes, Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. And I appreciate, though the undefeated rightly celebrated the heroes of African-American history, it also celebrated the common people whose names we will never know. I just listened to poet, novelist, teacher, and publisher Ishmael Reed's brief memoir regarding his encounters with Malcolm X. He ended the piece with this. For every camera-ready, magnetic personality who moves with moth-like reporters making a swarm about his or her flame, there are thousands of black men and women who have risked their lives working for the emancipation over hundreds of years. And it made me think about how the brightness of a spotlight has a tendency to obscure even further all those outside the circle. Because the resilience that I most commonly witness and that which inspires me the most happens in the relatively quiet seeming lives of unassuming people as they simply keep on living. I have little doubt that if you knew the deepest stories of those sitting on either side of you today, you would be first shocked and that you would feel compassion for the pain they have endured or are enduring, and that you would feel inspired for all that they have going on in their lives, for all the troubles that are too much with them, and the hurt and fear they may hold amidst the joys that life holds, for all the obstacles that were in their way, and for all the excuses they could have made for not coming, they are here, sitting beside you, in community, as we come together to welcome and be welcomed, to comfort and be comforted, to honor that which we hold most dear, and to recognize each other's beautiful faces and complex natures. I am routinely inspired by the stories of the lives of individuals in this congregation and the way that you each meet challenges and experience pain and weather sorrows and yet carry out the routines of your life and do what must be done and share kindnesses along the way and come together as one. 
And I purposely said routinely inspired because there is something about carrying out the routines of life, the everyday tasks, all that is simply necessary and yet requires our attention and strength that speaks to resilience and courage and if not stubbornness, then determination. We do this and we do this and often the pain or the sadness or the questions we carry are invisible. But if we acknowledge them, if we don't try to push them away or stuff them down or deny that they exist, what we carry can help to illuminate all that we do and connect us, as Helen Keller said, to the largest company in all the world, the company of those who have known suffering. And I also want to recognize that some people sometimes do not, cannot bounce back. This is for the ones who survived, wrote Kwame Alexander, and the ones who didn't. There are those who do not survive the actual incident or circumstance of pain, and those who find they cannot survive its ramifications in their ongoing life. There are those whose lives continue but who do not return to their original shape as the definition of resilience describes or anything close to it. They cannot engage life as once they did nor connect in ways they once might have connected. They are no less precious. They are no less worthy. They are no less welcome. For we are all held together in the transforming love holding all. And that recognition reminds me not to take the routine expressions of resilience for granted. There is something beautiful there in the everyday, some quality of endurance and determination that though it can't be captured on great panoramas is no less important as poet Ted Kuser sees as he watches a young woman pushing her wheelchair forward on a rainy morning. It comes to him as she pushes forward. She resembles a pianist striking the chords, raising her fingers and striking again, and that the music she plays is no less difficult and her focus, the quality of her attention, no less impressive. It is not only about finding shelter from the rain, though that is certainly important, and desirable. Resilience is finding an unsuspected artistic potential that sometimes arises from just getting through and coming to know that we can. We can go on. And it's going to be okay. 